Second Timothy chapter three. A couple of places this morning. <clears throat> I hear the bones breaking. It's raining outside, so you have nowhere to go, so kick your shoes off, relax for a little while. Let the last of the tryptophan go to work. That's from Turkey. Second Timothy chapter 3. If you were ever in the last days, you're in them now. I like talking about the last days. I like to refer to them as the final days. I wish I could say these are the final days. I don't know. I get asked that on a pretty regular basis. When, Lord, I don't know, but I hope soon. Amen. Preacher, when do you think it'll be? I don't know, but I hope soon. Amen. But I can give you some indicators, and I'm going at this from a different perspective. I'm going to tell you some things. Where's Brother Bo at? Okay, come up here real quick. Y'all sit down so y'all can see. I'll get you to stand back up in a minute. Don't <laughs> jump in Jack's burpees. They won't hurt you. Just, you'll be all right. Brother Bo, this is a certificate of when you got baptized, even though you got a whole bunch of pictures and all. But thanks for letting us be a part of that. I'm proud of you, young man. Amen. takes a lot of character. Amen. God bless you. Amen. All right. Let's give that to Mama so it don't get tore up. He is all boy. What I want to do is come at this thing maybe from a different perspective. I think too often in times we talk about the things that uh, we know that we want to do, but there are some things I don't want to do and some things I want to consider. You know, you learn three ways in the Bible, and one of those ways is, is from the mistakes of other people. Now, you learn a lot from your own mistakes. I understand that, and I'm trying to do that and trying to learn from it. Uh, you hear me trying to correct my English sometimes. I am trying to get better at that because it matters to me. I don't just uh, do that because I'm in the presence of royalty. I want to I improve. I want to get uh, better. I don't want to ever just accept uh, the, the, what becomes the normal. Uh, even though the normal may be abnormal or it may even be a little above somebody else's average, I don't want to ever settle for whatever that average is. I don't think I settled for that when it came to my secular work, and I don't think I should settle for that in my spiritual work. I think Christians plateau. I think we have a tendency to kind of level out sometimes too much, where we just sort of get up to a particular place, and we got those well-watered plains of Sodom, and, you know, we kind of set our pitch, our tent towards Sodom, and, well, it's just not so bad here, and I don't have to climb up, I don't have to climb down, because if I go down, i got to go back up. And we just kind of get used to being right where we are, and nothing really changes. So I want to give you a couple of things here to set the tone for you, to give you some things that I don't want to do. And if I get time, uh, time permitting, I'll try to get you out of here by 12 o'clock. But if I get time, I'll tell you some other things that I want to make sure that I, that I don't miss out on. But look, if you will, please, this is giving you the scriptures here on the last days. The Bible says, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. That's uh, hyper dangerous times. For men shall be lovers of them own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, 
traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For this sort, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts, ever lear lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Can I just say this? I've read you a dissertation on the time in which you live no matter what part of the world you live in. I could preach what I'm fixing to preach to you now in any place in the entire world. No matter where it would fit. Which just reminds me to say that when you go to a foreign country, and I highly recommend it, and you get the opportunity to go on a mission trip, and I highly recommend it. Uh, there's things that you'll recognize when you go to other countries about how selfish and how hung up we are in America. And we do have a tendency to hold our head a little high sometimes. And sometimes we've gotten accustomed to creature comforts. And sometimes we're a little bit proud and a little bit arrogant when it comes to those things. And you go into the other parts of the world and see how other people live, it'll make you appreciate what you do have. I'm not down on America. Don't think I'm down on it. I appreciate the fact we can have church here today. Appreciate we can drive up here in freedom. I appreciate the freedom. I go to sleep at night. I don't worry about some booger bear coming in and getting me. You say, why? Somebody's out on the street watching out for me. I don't worry about a militia coming in and taking over and those kinds of things. God's been good to us as a nation, as a country, in spite of ourselves. So I'm not down on that. I'm not one of these individuals who will get up here and just give you all the reasons why America is Sodom and Gomorrah and God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Let me tell you this, God will never have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if He doesn't judge America. Judgment's coming on America and every nation in the entire world according to the Bible. You say, why? They're less than nothing to Him. Every nation. Israel being an exception, and He's going to put Israel through the ringer in the tribulation period. But what I want you to recognize here is, is there's a dissertation of how things are going for you. And another passage over there when He talks about them being traitors and heady and high minor. He says, those that despise government. He said, even the angels, that'll be in 2 Peter 2. He said, even the angels are afraid to bring a railing accusation against the people that people, I mean, against the, the hierarchy in government, the people that you're not afraid to talk about. See, you think it's open season because out of the pulpits in America nowadays, you have preachers that are going around talking about politicians. He said even the angels won't bring a railing accusation against them. That's God's business. Romans 13, God put them in there. Maybe He put them in there to judge. But you're in an area where nowadays it's uh, popular to rebel. It's popular to, to be anti-police, to be anti-government, to be anti-United uh, States uh, 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 military, that kind of a thing. Uh, that's the reason you got peace in your country. That's why you have a net over you, at least right now. Until God sees fit to remove His hand off the United States of America, the things that you despise and the things that come out from the pulpits in America against the government are anti-God. I don't care how many people broadcasted on a radio station, heard all over the road. I mean, can you imagine this? You're living in a foreign country, some other place other than the United States, and you hear people that have the freedoms that we have over here downing their government all the time. You say, well, they're giving rights to gays and they're same-sex marriage and all that kind of stuff. It hasn't affected you. You still can fellowship with the Lord. You still can worship the Lord. You still can praise the Lord. Why does that become the big thing on your agenda? You know, well, they're, in, they're putting in laws that are going to take away my rights. It might be good to have some of the rights taken away from you. Maybe it might turn you back to God. But come on, be honest. Is it that bad? 
You wonder why the nation's in rebellion. Well, because the parents are talking about the government and the teachers and the police and so the kids are against the parents. And that, that passage is written over there where he says they don't obey their parents. In Galatians chapter number 5, you got all kind of insurrection going on for saved people. You can't justify that anywhere in the Bible. Jesus Christ never came against the government. I don't know why I'm on it, but I'm on it right now. That anti-governmental stuff coming out, that's just hog slop. That's the same thing as if Stalin was over there in Russia and he was raising a communist flag and preaching communism from the pulpit. That's the same stuff. You're just using a different thing and you like it because you can't stand to have a bit and a bridle put on you. God puts that thing in there for a reason and it's for your good and it's time that you thank God for the nation that you're born in, the liberty you have to serve Jesus Christ and to worship Jesus Christ and to be grateful in spite of the soup sandwich they might be. But because of that, God shielded you and given you protection in your household tonight. I'm wore out with all that stuff. I get tired of hearing, oh, well, you're just prejudicial. Yep, you're right, I am. And it ain't about black people and white people and Indians and Americans and Filipinos and Mexicans. It has to do with being presidential toward what God's rule of authority has set up. I am 100% presidential toward what he does. When he comes, he is not the author of confusion. He is a ruler over there that has things done decently and in order. You think you're going to run around the millennial kingdom, it's just going to be a free-for-all? No, there'll be a rule for everything. I get wore out with that. You're making it like Christianity and your liberty that you have in Christ is to break the law, to break the rules. Really? That's not what he says to you. Anywhere in the Bible, you're under the law of Christ. As a matter of fact, you're a step above the regular law. The Jew had to keep the law. you got to keep the law of Christ. You know what that means? That means when I can, I can't. i got to do what the Lord would do. Even though it's okay for me to do it. But nowadays you got this, my rights, my rights. I mean, huge my rights movement. It's all about me. Well, you got some serious trouble. You say, why? God doesn't like that spirit of rebellion. That's what happened with Cain. God doesn't like that. It's what happened with Jacob. I want to say this first and foremost, if I could please, some things I don't want to do. I'm going to try to get onto this. I don't want to leave the place where God planted me. Amen. Amen. I don't want to wind up like Adam and Eve. I'm just saying. You say, well, preacher, why? This law first mentioned, they were put in a perfect environment. And this might surprise some of you, but I think somebody who's in a perfect environment and has a supernatural touch of God on their life, probably made out of transparent gold, reflecting the light of God, walking with Him every day, talking with Him every day, being fed by Him every day, fellowshipping with Him every day. If they could get kicked out of the garden, boy, I better be careful. I mean, I know where God put me. I've heard many people, well, God put me here. I'll never leave this place. It's like, okay, see you in six weeks. You say that, all of a sudden the devil comes down and said, well, we'll see about that. I opened up here a few weeks ago and I didn't want you to get the wrong idea, but I feel like it's important for you to know that even though sometimes things get difficult and hard and I might make that uh, statement of saying, you know, I've been thinking about what to do. I don't want you to get this idea that I'm throwing in a towel, I'm giving up, I'm quitting, I've, I've had all I can take. I, I might have been a little bit tired, a little bit wore out, a little bit frustrated, aggravated, irritated, agitated. And now are any other taters you can come up with that. Put an hour on there and we can have some taters for lunch. But, 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 but I don't want you to get this idea that it's by main strength and awkwardness you make it to the end. 
If God don't help me or anyone else doesn't help me, you aren't going to make it. You can't make it through sheer discipline alone. You can't do it. I've been able to do a few things with God's help and some discipline along the way. But when it comes to this thing right here, spiritual things, but you better recognize that's above your pay grade. That has an ability that if God doesn't bless you and God don't watch out for you, you know what you're headed? You're headed for a horrible fall and getting kicked out of where God would have you to be. You say, why? The devil is against you and he is against you doing what God wants you to do. And guess what? If he can get you out, he is as happy as he can possibly be. The question is, who are you making happy today? I heard of the black preacher preaching one time. He preached a whole sermon on who are you making happy today? And he preached on making the Lord happy and boy, they amen and stuff like that. And then he got on the other side over there and he said some things about the devil. And all of a sudden the amens got quiet and the old me started coming. And before long, he's kind of going back and forth. And he got a little organ going in between that thing. And he got a little bit of a rhythm going to that. And who are you making happy today? And I kept going like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, who are you making happy today? I mean, you ever pause and think about that inside your house, even though it may just be you or might just be you and your spouse, do you ever realize that present with you at that moment is God and the devil also? And they are in there as much as they were in the garden with Adam and Eve. And they walked around and they talked to him. And he was right there every moment that Jesus was walking with him in the cool of the evening. The devil's on the other side of him talking to him at the same time. You have to recognize when you're by yourself in the car, there's two other ones that are in there with you. God and the devil's in there with you. Who are you making happy today? You say, what a simplistic message. Man, boy, that thing will fly. I wish I could preach it. I'd feel sacrilegious preaching it because I couldn't preach it the way he preached it. But boy, that thing stuck like a broken record in my mind. And something comes up in my mind and I think the wrong thing. And I hear that old preacher say, who are you making happy today? I thought, oh man, why you got to say that now? I'd like to say, first of all, I don't want to leave where God planted me. I don't want to take it upon myself to think I know more than God does. If God says to move, I'm not saying I won't move, but I don't want to move until He tells me to move. I don't want to be a potted plant and a wheelbarrow and be root bound. I want to put my roots down. I want to put them down by the brook and I want them things to go down long, hard and deep. And that way when the storm comes and the wind comes, it may sway and it may move back and forth. But guess what will happen? Eventually that circumference on that tree will wind up getting thicker and thicker and before long it will be able to withstand the winds and the pressure as long as the roots are down deep enough. You got them in a pot, you know what they do? They blow over. They're easy to move. Boy, I like it when people come here. Bees is going to become a part of us here today. I like it when people come here and they become a part of our church. You see, what? They're putting roots down. I like that. I like to say, secondly, I want to make sure that I always choose the well-watered plains where God wants me to be instead of the well-watered plains of Sodom. Making right choices still matters. I'm getting old, not as old as some of you, and I don't say that to besmirch the fact that you're older. I just simply say, as I've gotten older, you know what I've learned? The things that I learned when I was younger haven't changed as I've gotten older. Choices still matter. You know what I see? I see nowadays because I've gotten a little bit older that sometimes taking the way of ease and taking the way of, uh, of comfort, taking the way of, uh, of things being a little more simple and that kind of a deal people would call wisdom, I call for me, that's a stumbling block. I need to sweat a little. Yes. I don't use the computer stuff like y'all do. You do, that's your business. I still use books. Yes. 
You say, why? I'm scared of it. It's too fast for me. It moves too quick. I can't get stuff together in 15 minutes. It doesn't work for me. That's just me now. I'm just telling you. I have to put together a message. It takes me time. I have to write it down. I still write my, my notes longhand. You're going to preach all of that? You didn't see what's inside. You say, what is that? That's longhand. Do you all know what that is? That's called cursive. Only for me, because of the years of what I did, it's printed. Back in my day, we didn't have an MDT and a computer till later on. You didn't type reports and stuff. You sat down and wrote them. And you got out a, a, a gallon of white out and a four-inch brush, and you'd paint it, hand it, <laughs> hand it over to the sergeant, and he'd pick it up and say, man, you got to be kidding me. That's like a soda cracker. You can take it back and rewrite it, man. you turn that stuff in there, and that stuff cracking all over the place. It looked like crack before everybody knew what crack was. You had to write the stuff out longhand. You say, why do you do that, preacher? Well, sometimes I get to thinking, boy, that, pl that pl plane looks good and, and that city's not so bad and I'm just going to pitch toward that city. I'm not going to go in that city, but I, boy, I could sure raise some good cattle over there and um, boy, I can see that. Let's see, beef, you know, $14.95 a pound and boy, I could get me some fat cows out here and before long, the next thing you know, I pick a plane God doesn't want me to have. He says to Abraham, he says, go on out there in the desert and let your boy have the well-watered plains of Sodom. I don't want to pick a place God doesn't want me to pick. I don't want to pick a thing God doesn't want me to pick. You say, what are you talking about? Aiken. God said, don't touch it. Do you know that's still in the Bible? I've gotten to a point now where I say it and you think I say it without hesitation. What you don't realize is times have changed. There's an immediate kickback from that. If you're a preacher, you know what I'm talking about. You make a definitive statement like that. There's some things that God says leave alone and you get an immediate pushback. You didn't used to get that. Back in the old days, people would drive for miles just to embrace preaching. They love preaching. I mean hard preaching. Preaching on holiness and preaching on hell and preaching on heaven and that kind of thing. I mean, they would just eat it up. Nowadays, you say, there's some things God doesn't want you to touch. And you get a... Well, hold on just a minute now. Well, hold on. You mean God's going to tell me no? Yeah, I'm going to tell you God says no. God says those things belong to me. You ever got your stuff and God's stuff mixed up? I don't want to do that. No. I don't want to be an Aiken. You know why? It's not just because I'm afraid of the collateral damage. The collateral damage was his family, his animals. They had done nothing. But it's not just because of that. It's because God said, don't do it. And what I do is when I see Achan just taking that wedge of gold, the Babylonian comet and the silver, you know what I say? Well, if Achan was tempted to take God's stuff in the Old Testament sense, knowing it would cost him his life, I better be careful because it's not going to cost me my life. I don't want to take things God doesn't want me to have. Amen. I want to say this about that, and I want to move on to my next point here, but I want to say this to you. I don't want to covet things that God doesn't see fit for me to have. Amen. That has to do with a position. That has to do with uh, 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 material things. Not just another man's wife. Amen. I don't want to covet something that God hadn't seen fit to give me. Including health. Amen. God didn't see fit to give me the health. Amen. I don't want to covet and be uh, mad at somebody who's got health. Amen. 
I want to be careful about that. I think about the number of people I've given you as illustrations before, uh, whether or not I'd be like Herbie and still going to church, or David Ring and still going to church, or Miss Lovelady and still going to church, or Miss Penny and still going to church. Uh, people, and some of them that you know, that old woman up there with the crutches and those kind of things crawling underneath the pews. I look at those kind of people and I think to me, you talk about saints. I mean real saints. You say, how many people did they lead to the Lord? I don't know anybody that I know of. Maybe Miss Penny probably led four or five hundred of the Lord, but beyond that, all they did was just serve the Lord in a crippled up, broken up body. I don't know if I was them, if I wouldn't be coveting every day, Lord, why'd you make me this way? Lord, why'd you make me this way? You know what I want to be? I want to be like the Apostle Paul and say, Lord, can you take this off of me? Lord, nevertheless, your grace is sufficient for me. Uh, when I'm weak, you're strong, so therefore I'll glory in my tribulation. You say, what is that? For me, it's just a personal thing that I want to be able to do before I die and go to heaven. I want to get to the point where I can learn to be content in whatsoever state I'm in. Amen. Say, well, preacher, it's easy for you now. You're getting older and you got this coming, you got that coming, you got so on and so forth. You, you might want to be careful. It doesn't always inside the store what it looks like from the window. Some of you have a bad habit of that. Just tag it real quick. Some of you think because the window dressing looks good and the curb appeals good, you think inside the house is, must be as good as it is outside. It ain't always so. Sometimes people are doing everything. They're suffering in silence. I want to get to a point that whether the window dressing is there or not there or not, that I can say, Lord, you're the God who's the, God, the giver of all blessings and you're the one from whom all blessings flow. And I want to get where I don't desire things he doesn't want me to have. I want to learn that when he says no, it means no. You ever pray when you were a kid? You ever go to your parents and you say to your parents, you know, can I do so-and-so? And they'll say, not right now. What that really meant in my day was no. <laughs> they didn't reverse it later, right? Not right now. That was a nice way of telling you no, <laughs> right? You ever do that with the Lord? And the Lord says no. And you say, but Lord, he, and Lord, she, and Lord, they, you ever done that? One of the things I don't want to do is get in a position where whatever God's given me, that I don't just appreciate God from whom all blessings flow and say, but Lord, I appreciate you giving me that. But can I have, can I have, I don't want to get to the point where the Lord says to me, hey, I'll take what's in your pocket that I go, well, I've already given way over and above, Lord, so, I mean, can we talk about that? I don't even want to have a discussion. Can I say this to you before you think it's about your money? It also, for me, it has to do with my time. When God says to me, I want your time, I don't want Him being last on my list. I didn't say you. You do with it what you want. I want every time he gets ready to call me to duty or call me off the bench or call me to whatever, that the first thing I say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. Yes, sir. I don't want to sit there. Now, Lord, now the way I see it is and what I did and so on and so forth. And, you know, by the time I'm getting older, this and that and the other. No, you know what I want him to do? I'm, so, I'm amazed that the Lord allows me to do anything. I'm still so dumbfounded by it. I think the last time he asked me. The last time he asked me to do something might be the last time. I'm not like y'all. 
Or you expect that every time he's going to call you and renew it every single day. The last time he asked me to do something and get ready to go on a trip over there and I felt like God wanted me to go and I felt like that may be the last time. What if he never says it to you again? I better take the chances I got when I got the chance. But, 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 but what if? But we'll see at the judgment seat. I'm just saying for me, okay? This is just me. This is my personal wish list. This is my January, January 1st list. This is my making the, the situation there, whatever it is that you call them, that you're going to uh, put into effect. I don't want to be the individual that says, uh, Lord, uh, I'm, I, I'd, I'd like to have this and like to have this. Well, if you had that, you won't serve me. If you had that, you won't have time for me. If you're doing that, you won't be able to do what I need you to do. But if that's what you want, And number three, if you're taking notes. This one scares me, Brother Mitch. Brother Mitch, Brother Mitch. I don't want God's hand to ever leave me and me not know it. Again, that's just for me. Oh, so you're saying God's hand's on you. Yeah. You say, why? Because I hear what comes out of my mouth and I know it isn't me. And it's not in my notes. Amen. You call it whatever you want to call it. But you know what I know? I know there was a boy that was a judge in Israel. And you don't get to be a judge except by the fact that your upbringing is right. And you don't get to be a judge in Israel unless you have some home training and you got some smarts about you. And unless God's hands on you. And that boy, when God's hand was on him, I mean, he could rip the gates off of a city and he could go in there and slay, I don't know how many, with the jawbone of a donkey there. And uh, 3,000, I think it was, or 1,000 maybe, I guess it was, and drink water. He gets thirsty. The Lord lets the jawbone bring up water. There's a message in that. And he drinks that thing and he continues to wipe them out with that little old makeshift thing. And then all of a sudden he gets there in the bosom of iniquity and he's laying there and Delilah said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he said, baby, don't worry about it. I got it. I've been here so many times. I'm so used to that. I don't even need to pray about it. I've got it. It's good, man. <laughs> I, I, I got it. But something had happened. He had told a secret to somebody he had no business telling and he was laying with somebody he had no business laying with. And before long that compromise got him. You know what happened? The Bible says and Samson wist not that the Spirit of God had departed from him. That should be the greatest fear any preacher has and any Christian has. It's not just preaching power. It's the power for you to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Ma'am, if you're a wife, you know what you ought to fear? You ought to fear God taking His hand off of you because you're not walking in fellowship with Him. He's done it, hasn't He? How else do you explain some of the things that's happened when you're in the midst of a war? If God's hand's not off of you. I didn't say you lost your salvation. David said, Thou hast anointed me with fresh oil. Throughout the Bible, he says, Be drunk with wine, where is his, uh, where is his, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, Sir, the last time you made a decision that was beneficial and lined your pockets and God was trying to tell you, where was God when you made that decision? You wist not that He even was there, did you? He made a decision on the underbelly of a snake or a serpent crawling through there and it was beneficial for you, but you kind of let the Lord, you know, Lord, you... Get on back there for a little while. Let me cut this corner. Everybody else does it. 
or you slipped by and you gave somebody a wink and a nod and kind of led her on a little bit, didn't you, when you took her to lunch or a cup of coffee for a business thing? Because everybody does that in the world. And somebody sees you out at lunch somewhere and I, I don't, or is it, where's your wife? Oh, she's at the house. She's taking care of the kids. She's, she's busy. Okay. I <laughs> wonder if your daughter or your son walked in right now what they'd think. Oh, it's just lunch. It's no big deal. No big deal? What about your testimony? You know what? Eating's intimate. Thank you. It is. You got ready to meet that girl. You know what you asked her to do? Let's go eat dinner. Garden. Eat something. You sit down and you're having fellowship over a meal. Why, in the Bible, you know what the Lord does? He's breaking bread with people and eating a meal with them on a regular basis. We even have the Lord's Supper to remember Him. I hope it hurts your feelings. I don't care if it did. I hope that if you have that as a business practice, I hope right now you make a decision to say, Lord, never again, I'm, I'm not doing that anymore. I hope it, I sincerely hope it hurts your feelings. I hope you hadn't been justifying that. You say, what's your wife going to do about it? Oh, she might pitch a fit. She can't go nowhere. You got her in bondage. You're paying for everything. What's she going to say about it? Well, honey, that's just part of the business deal. That's just part of the way the world works. That's part of the... I don't want to do that. You may do that. I don't want to do that. You imagine seeing me somewhere? Think about it. I've been here 33 years now. Think about it. You ever seen me out to lunch with somebody else? Another woman? You say, why? She'd kill me. <laughs> I don't want to have God lead me and not know it. Amen. My friend, Brother Jim, he said, we were talking one time, serious conversation, about 2 o'clock in the morning, we were preaching our place together. I said, hey man, what are you afraid of? And he said, the worst thing in the world. I said, what's the worst thing in the world? He said, God taking his hand off of me. But he said, you know what's worse than that? I said, no sir, what? He said, not knowing it. That's where the illustration of the devil preaching without unction. You remember the illustration? That's where that illustration came from. The devil can preach truth without unction. He said the sad thing and the scary thing about it is not just that he took his hand off. The scary thing is that you continue and not even know that he took his hand off. Number four. I don't want to be home when I ought to be at war. I'm just using biblical illustrations. And time came when all the kings went out to war. Right? Now I'm in 2 Samuel 11, right? And David stayed at the house. David was a great king. David was a great warrior. David was a great leader. David came to that plateau where he figured, you know... I've been doing that same thing for years. I've been fighting my whole life. From bears and lions to giants 
to Philistines, to kings, to everybody else. Joab, you go ahead and take the boys out. If that Bible's right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what can happen to me in the latter days? I can get comfortable saying, you know what, I don't need to be going off anymore, staying out anymore and doing anything. I don't need to come to church. I don't need to, to read my... I just stay home. I'm just going to stay home. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I might leave for, you know, a few weeks of vacation or something, but I mean, but the rest of the time, I'm just going to... I mean, I might go to a ball game or something or to a restaurant, but, but, I, but I, I don't need to go to battle no more. You know, it's a strange thing. I don't really have a battle going to the restaurant. Do you? Do you fight that? I mean, unless it's like 8 o'clock at night, you're wore out, you know, and that kind of a deal. It's kind of like, hey, let's get up and go out and eat. I might fight then a little bit. The bed sheets might call me, you know. But for the most part, somebody says, let's go to dinner. I don't, I don't have a conflict. You know where I have a conflict? Coming to church. Going other places. You know what the temptation is? I just want to stay home. Just so y'all know, I like home. I mean, I put on my red shoes every time I leave. I'm like Dorothy. Let's go to the house. You know that. Flying monkeys, right? Yes. Click your heels. Why? Let's, let's go back, you know. You're in the land of the yellow brick road or whatever it might be. But listen to me. The temptation can be, especially after you've been saved a long time, is to get this retirement mindset. Amen. And to stay home. Yes, that's right. Become sedentary spiritually. Amen. Now, you know what it'll do to you physically? If you sit on your blessed assurance long enough, you're not only going to get fat, but your muscles will atrophy. I'm not talking about if you're sick and you've got a problem, get over yourself, okay? Just listen to me a minute. You know that's true physically. Right, Biggin? You don't get to bench over 300 pounds sitting at the house, right? You don't compete in big-time competitions sitting at the house. Am I right? Okay. He got where he got because he was willing to train. That meant that if it was cold or if it was raining or if he was sore or if he was tired or he had a pulled muscle or he just didn't really feel like it that day, that he had to go and do it anyway. It was an inconvenient time for David to go to war. He did not stay home because he knew Bathsheba was next door. He stayed home because he didn't want to go. I don't want to get to the point I don't want to go. Preacher, do you know the people? Uh, yeah. I don't want people to keep me from going. But I know this. I know that in the Bible that if I'm not careful, the comforts of home and the fatigue of battle will wear me out to the point that I feel like, you know what? Let somebody else fight the fight. I've done my part. I'm finished. If the Bible's right in the last days, that'll be of the first four that I've given you. That fifth thing, that our fourth thing that I just gave you right there, that one right there will be the one that'll knock us in the head. It's just easier to stay home. Now we have internet. Now we have the ability to broadcast and that kind of thing. It's just easier to stay in your jams. 
and just watch it online. What you don't recognize is, is that you become sedentary or stay at home. Listen, David was still getting news from the battlefront. Amen. David was still tuning in and runners going back and forth at how things were going. He was still connected. He just wasn't where he was supposed to be. You ever realize that when the Lord has you to get up and to get out, it may be to keep you from something you would do if you wind up staying there. There's no way that you stay connected when the commercial comes or when the time to get up to get something to eat or something to drink. It's just a little too relaxed. He didn't get where he got because he went to a place everybody's like, chill out. He went there for the purpose of training. There's going to be pain involved. And difficulty in learning to do without. Church nowadays has just gotten a little too comfortable. Amen. Because the idea of church is, is that I can have home church. Yep. Come on. Yep. Comfortable. Sure, it's a pain in our hunkers to get up and get ready. And put on a suit and a tie and all that kind of stuff. And to drive down here and all that. You know, well, what's the big deal? Well, I don't know. If it's not such a big deal, why are you at the house? Because it was raining. Try that tomorrow with your boss. I bet you this afternoon in about 15 minutes here when your dinner bell goes off, I bet you you'll either have somebody else drive out to get you something and bring it to you through Grubhub or DoorDash or Uber Eats or something like that. Or you'll have somebody pick you up something or whatever it might be. Or you'll go out and you'll weather the storm to be able to feed your belly. But you wouldn't feed your spiritual man. Oh, I don't have to leave to get that. I get home, free home delivery. I don't know how many are up there watching right now. I mean, all of a sudden I see them. Okay, fine. Well, go ahead. It's still true. You're staying at home when you ought to be at war. I don't want to be at home when I ought to be at war. I don't want somebody looking around for their backup and I'm sitting around drinking coffee trying to chat up the lady at the stop and rob. I've got my mind somewhere where it has no business being. Somebody's up to their eyeballs an alligator and they're expecting me to show up and I'm busy drinking coffee and chilling out and relax, man. Everything will be okay. No, I don't want them to be looking for me when they need backup. I want them to know right there. There he is right there. I told somebody the other day, I said, I ain't a bird dog. But I'm a good dog. You say, where are you? Open your door. You know where you'll find me? I'll be right there on the porch. I'm not all up in your house and all up in your business, but if you need something, you open the door and, yeah, he's still laying right out there, man. What's up with that guy, man? He's not at the house when he's supposed to be at war. He's on the porch. Let me say this. It looks like we're going to run out of time. Is this helping you at all? I don't want to get to a point in my life <coughs> where I think, that I know more than God does. Amen. Can I expound this for just a moment? Peter's the big man before Paul comes on the scene. Peter's the big man when it comes to the Jew. Circumcision, right? He's the one that for whatever reason God just said, you're the guy. And I mean, you talk about toleration. Of him. He was tolerant. 
Let me remind you about this about Peter now just real quick. Not only did he have his mother-in-law healed, but he also walked on water. And he also witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration the transforming of Jesus Christ into a supernatural second advent thing. That, so much so that Peter said, let's build three tabernacles. And that Peter. You know what the Lord said? He said, one of y'all is going to deny me. You know what Mr. Walk on Water, Mount of Transfiguration, Mother-in-Law Healed, you know what he said? Not so, Lord. Never happened, Captain. Not on my watch. And the Lord said, oh yeah, Peter, you. Before that chicken goes to roost out there and he crows twice, you're going to deny me thrice. And Peter said the more the vehemently, not so. Though all others forsake thee, yet will not I. He didn't even realize what he was saying. He thought he knew more than God did. God had warned him two chapters before and said... The devil desires to sift you at wheat, boy. You better put up some barriers and barricades. You better get prepared. I don't need all that. Well, the preacher said, you know, you better put up some barriers, put up some barricades. I mean, you'd be surprised what a Bible laying on the desk in an open fashion when people come by your house or come by your dorm or come by your office. You'd be surprised how many evil spirits that'll ward off. Oh, that's for church. I don't need that. I'm strong enough on my own. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to pray. I don't need to have fellowship with the saints. I sure enough don't need preaching. I mean, after all, I'm married. I get plenty of that. Not so, Lord. I read that passage and I read it again because I was on the foot washing this morning. And the thing that literally sends chicken skin down my spine is to think of a man who's walking with the Lord like Adam was and talking with him, watching him perform. I mean, he was there. He was one of the ones sweating, handing out the baskets of food when he made two, five barley loaves and two fishes feed 5,000 men. He'd seen blind people come get their sight. Dumb people being able to talk. Deaf people being able to hear. Paraplegics being able to walk. I mean, good night, man. Not me, Lord. Everybody else might forsake you. Not me. Well, preacher, I know how to get around that. You just don't say it. You just do it when the pressure's on. If you don't make up your mind right now, when that pressure comes, when the Lord tells you you're in danger, you know what you'll say? Mm -mm. I'm not in danger. Boy, he is. Boy, she is. Boy, they are. Isn't it strange that right before Peter gets ready to fall off the wagon there, isn't it strange that he seems to know everybody else's spiritual condition? Could you listen to me just a minute? Are you hearing me? You say, how does he know? He's speaking for everybody at the table. Though all others will forsake thee, yet will not I. 
Who died and left you, God? How do you know what they're going to do? But right before the fall comes a haughty spirit and pride that says, I know everybody's spiritual condition. I can tell by looking at them. I learned this the hard way. I learned that anger and fear come off the wall the same way. And if you respond the wrong way, thinking that somebody is mad when they're just scared, you can make a real mess of things. And if you think that they're just scared and they're really mad, they'll kill you. You've got to have a little bit of discernment. But I've learned looks can be deceiving. And the people that you think are about to get out and get off, you know what you're seeing in them? You're seeing attributes of yourself. Because that's all you're capable of seeing in others because you're not seeing through His eyes. You're seeing yourself manifested in others. That's why some of you are so suspicious of everybody else because you're afraid somebody's going to pull one over like you've been pulling over on them. Not just... Staying at home, not just choosing the well-watered plains. Not just having the Lord lead me, but to think I know better than God does. God has an answer for every question in that Bible. But how many times have I thought that I knew better. God said it, that settles it, right? Well, until it runs contrary to what we want it to be. And then God said it, I'll let you know what my thoughts are on it, I'll give you a commentary. Now it's settled. No. God said it, it was settled before you chose to make a commentary about it or not. I may give you the other part of that tonight. I want to just ask you a couple of things. Is there anything in the coming year that you don't want to do? I think the coming of the Lord, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, is very soon. Maybe I'm just giving you a presupposition of my own death. Maybe I think He's coming soon because maybe, maybe I'm going to die. I don't know. But maybe it's the rapture. Either way, is there anything you don't want to do? I don't want him to look at me and try to stumble to find the words, Well done, thy good and faithful. I don't want him to feel like he's lying when he says it. That's a mouthful because of who it's coming from. But there is a passage in there that says, Enter in the joy of the Lord. Come on in. You live for yourself. You died by yourself, and now you're up here in heaven. Enter in the joy of the Lord. Ain't God good? There's some things that I don't want to do. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.